0: And so, essentially, your you're, you're very large banks own it, um, and your moderate and good-sized banks own it. Um, this is, as you go down, it gets smaller. Um, so, you know, your small local bank may or may not own it.
1: Well, and uh, it's so interesting because the bank that I grew up in, Community First Bank, like they had a bank-owned life insurance policy. now, And it, let me assure you, it was not a multi-billion dollar bank. It was a small community bank. But they had that, and I knew nothing about it. But it was different. It was just, I was like, that that's part of what made me start asking questions. Is like, okay, why are, why is a significant amount of money going into this? This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Better Wealth Podcast. I have the one and only Barry Dykes in the house and um this is your second time on the Betterwell show we had such a great response from episode 132 so if you're hearing this guy for the first time or if you've never heard pirates of manhattan um or if you've never heard of barry uh barry dykes and the work that he's doing go back to like stop this episode go back listen to episode 132 that's where we give all the backstory and uh, it's crazy to me it's long but it's like one of the most listened to podcasts that I've ever done. And and so Barry, we've gotten a lot of questions about bank owned life insurance, about how companies are de-risking their their risk into life insurance. We're we're even gonna talk about today about how um, there's an invasion to the passive investor and investing. And I know you're a super big researcher. I want to give you a platform and have a dialogue. So this will be this will be a, an interesting episode. Um, but I know that there's a lot of people that are that are dying to listen to this. So thank you so much for making this a priority.
0: Well, and thank you for the opportunity, Caleb. So uh, uh, let's do it.
1: Okay. So one of the things that was so eye opening to me when I read your book is BOLI. Now, for the person that doesn't know what BOLI stands for, it, it stands for Bank own life insurance. And what's so interesting is banks put a lot of their tier one assets, their safe assets, which I'm hoping you can um, talk a little bit about into bank owned life insurance. So I know that you have the most recent um, stats on that. I'm wondering if you can walk our listeners through what that even means, why banks do that, and what are the current numbers?
0: Well, you know, it's it's kind of a, uh, you know, know, we're both Christians. It's kind of a walking faith, but uh, um, I I, uh, I stumbled into this, and this is around 2002, where I, I someone read I read something in the Wall Street Journal, and this is back in the day when Caleb used to spend five, but five bucks for every article he got from the journal in the first days of the internet. But now, uh, but I heard a lot of the the uh, the banks owned life insurance, and um, you know, no one, you know, so, and I knew it was really not one of the only things that worked, and um, so I, that's. Began the research of that book, which the virus had came out in 2007. But, any event, um, so, um, just a lot of persistence. I called the companies, insurance companies, to ask who if they'd speak to me about it. I talked to the brokers, they wouldn't speak to me about it. Uh, but just through, uh, you know, prayer, meditation, what have you, uh, I was eventually able to befriend a, a really nice lady, um, at, at the FDIC and, um, um, figure it out that the banks own more life insurance than anybody combined and the thing is to this day uh, caleb and this is true i've uh, been interviewed by bloomberg and all this stuff on uh, other uh media outlets and then never this to the public and even to this day and um so but the reason why banks buy so much life insurance is because they they may be crazy people or maybe kind of we don't like bailing them out. I don't like them bailing up. They're not going to bail out me. They're not going to bail out you. But the point is, is that the they buy life insurance because it because are no dummies, and they, and the reason why they buy life insurance because they get the economics of the product. Uh, it has a guarantee. Um, there, the the balance sheet of a life company cannot be leveraged like a bank. Um, can't be ten to one, you know, normally. And now, since the last 2000, September, the last 2000. 2019, September, when the repo market went crazy. Now the banks have no reserves. So life companies are very, very reserved. Okay, they're very, very strong. They can't lever out their money like um banks do. Uh the money grows tax deferred. Uh the money is professionally managed. Um, there's guarantees. You're getting 4% of a guaranteed account now. I mean, Caleb, a 10-year treasury is like 1.7%. No, a 10-year, a 30-year treasury is around one 1.7%. So yeah. I can get. Four percent guaranteed in a life company, and an additional interest and dividend. Then also, it's you know, it's a very large. There's also it gives people a very large death benefit, and the banks understood that when they get the uh, the when they're the beneficiaries, the money comes into them income tax free.
1: So it's almost like self fulfilling. It's like you get you get this asset. This is how I always explain it: is you put you the banks have an asset that they can leverage because they're in the lending institution but it also is very safe out will beat a lot of, you know, treasuries, especially now, but it's also self-fulfilling because they are the bank is the ultimate beneficiary of the death benefit. And it's like, Oh, that makes a ton of sense. Um, And, but a lot of people just don't think about it because they're thinking about life insurance as an expense, not an asset.
0: Okay. So let's give an example. These, these numbers are accurate. And I would testify in court in these though. So for your listeners out there, so Let's, let's look at like the three of the top three banks in the United States this is, this is as of June 30th uh, uh, JP J. Morgan Chase has 11.79 billion um, in uh, cash rent value in their, in their on their bully Bank of America has 22.64 billion this this is verifiable and Wells Fargo, or Wells Fargo, as I call it sometimes, has 19.15 billion in cash surrender value on their balance sheet. Now, the death benefit to the to the banks is roughly oh six six times, six seven times, okay, of the of the cash value. So you have Bank of America with the 22 billion. You do the math: 22 times six. What's that? 130 billion, something like that. And
1: yeah, it's it's, it's dead, a big, yeah. big big number. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> now, in addition to that, because it's the the bank-owned life insurance, it's part of their their um their tier one capital. And people should you know, you know, read my books, okay, because uh, I go through this in detail. But tier one capital is the most important asset in the bank, and they can take that like Bank of America with their twenty-two billion in, in cash rent of that. They can lever that up um, legally uh, nine times and after the repo market uh, imploded last year, um, they can essentially a lend an unlimited amount of money on this stuff. So, um, yeah. so it's you know it's, uh, it's so it's one of the best assets they can own.
1: And so, it, it comes- so you're saying that Bank of America, as of right now, has over or as of June 30th of last year, has over 22 billion dollars of cash value as their tier one asset. That's a big number. Uh- it's a and you're saying that the death benefit is somewhere around six to seven times, but is not disclosed. Is that correct? No, no, they don't have to
0: disclose it. They just have to disclose yeah. the asset on the balance sheet.
1: Where, how are they funding this? Like, I, I don't, I don't understand. Like, are they, are they finding key people on the bank and it just all comes together or how, well, how well, does that work?
0: Well, they used to be able to, they used to insure the entire population of the bank for, so, so something like bank of America uh, would have I don't know, like 250,000 employees. But I mean, I think with the regulation and stuff, but they they changed that um, to not like the top 35% of highly of compensated people at the bank. So they're essentially uh, insuring that the top one third and they're saying that it's a um, vehicle to fund post-retirement benefits. That's where they, because it has to be insurable interest, um, but they're buying it really for the pure economics of the whole thing. And then now they're using the bully, but they're also buying um, you know, uh, split dollar life insurance, yeah. um, things like that, to fund ex- individual uh, executive retirement plans. So they're buying really because they get the economic benefits yeah. and it's far superior than a treasury bill, which yeah. is considered the most, the safest bond instrument in the world.
1: Well, in, in other words, they're giving their employees benefits and giving them an incentive to stay while also benefiting the bank and in a way, they're creating an and asset because it's get that asset is giving multiple benefits to a bank. Which, by the way, a lot of people want to focus solely on rate of return. But what's interesting about banks is they take a step back and say, "It's we'll, we'll take we'll take the and approach versus rate of return all day long because they understand the economics."
0: Yeah, and so the thing is now also too is the, as the um, the cash value increase um, uh, increases, maybe say five hundred million or whatever year just because of the growth of the. Um, that goes that goes right to their income statement, so it, it gives it, it improves the valuation for Wall Street. So a penny a share, which doesn't make any sense to you and me, but it makes a big deal to these guys. So yep. so they're buying it really for the pure economics of it, and um, and the uh, it's probably one of the only places the bank did not lose money in two thousand and eight.
1: Yeah, where where could people find information about banks? And because it's it's my understanding that there's over two thousand banks in the U S. that have some type of Bank-owned life insurance, Where- uh, No, it's much—it's
0: much higher than that, Caleb. Uh, uh, again, this is as of, uh, this past September. Uh, 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 let's see. Uh, the 3300 banks, essentially three thousand two hundred eighty-five uh, banks and savings associates own bank-owned life insurance. So, we're roughly sixty-five percent of the all—all all the banks you see own it in some shape or form hmm. now the thing is, is this does not include credit unions that's right and there's another product for them okay but i read there's some guys that specialize in that Th- but this is public information um, but the key is is that uh, when you look at the, the scope i mean you look at the big banks they all own it 80 uh, percent of the uh, big banks with assets over 10 billion of tier one capital of more than 10 billion 80 of the banks own it uh, banks between, uh, notched down between 1 and 10 billion of assets, 81%, of, 82% of them own it. And so essentially, your very large banks own it, um, and your moderate and good-sized banks own it. Um, this is, as you go down, it gets smaller. Um, so you know, your small local bank may or may not own it.
1: Well, and um, it's so interesting because the bank that I grew up in, Community First Bank, like they had a bank-owned life insurance policy now, and it, let me assure you, it was not a multi-billion-dollar bank; it was a small community bank. But they had that, and I knew nothing about it. But it was different. It was just I was like that. That's part of what made me start asking questions. Is like, okay, why are why is a significant amount of money going into this? And it just made me it made me ask questions. For the person that wants to learn more, and you say it's public information. Where can someone find this info?
0: Well, they go to the FDIC, but you have to be kind of a, a nerd like me to dig it out. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's there. Um, and, you know, you have to navigate it uh, okay. through call reports. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's there because you and I, you know, <laughs> you and I are behind, Caleb, you and I are behind the FDIC and your listeners out there behind it. Uh, but the, uh, but so not uh, so it it is there. You, there's a lot of spade work and okay. you know people okay. have individual questions, they have
1: to well and then I appreciate you doing the work and, and highlighting it for you are the first person that has ever highlighted it for me when I was in this journey of learning. And it just it just gets you to start thinking differently. And the thesis really goes to this if banks, if the institution of banking is a profitable business, some would say it's the most profitable business out there and they're doing something, instead of saying, Oh, Bank of America you know, JP Morgan and, and Wells Fargo are awful banks, which I think there's some people that could check the all three of those boxes, but they're, they're doing something right. And so it's like, okay, you can like, like, be very careful to throw rocks at an institution, like, yeah, they might they may not have the best customer service. But there's a reason they're one of the biggest banks, what's got them there. And I think that's I think we can learn something from that. Anything else in your research of bank owned life insurance and how it works, anything else that is really, um, open your eyes in this journey?
0: How the media will not report this. They won't. They won't. I've been in front of Bloomberg. I know reporters in the journal. I have friends actually in Bloomberg. Some of them are really good people. I mean, I think there's a lot of reporters out there, but there's really kind of constraints on them to report the truth. And, um, um, you know uh that's been kind of a i thought if i did all this research um that i would uh be rewarded okay or uh, become not a celebrity or something like that you know because i i researched this for a number of years Um, uh, but no the media still won't uh report it
1: why do why do you think that is
0: well because they don't want to upset their advertisers you know it's it, it's you know it's i figured it was some writer from new york said years ago Freedom of the press belongs to the man who owns the press, and who are the biggest? You know, Cantar Media, which I believe is owned by a private equity firm, believe it or not. Uh, but you know, the three biggest advertisers um, as a community, I think, are, number one are the um, automobile companies, and then uh, maybe this, the uh, telephone companies. And then after that are the, are the asset managers and the banks. Yeah. So you know, if you if you're running some like CNBC or any of these um, institutions, okay, who are their major advertisers?
1: That's good. I mean, listen, I won't even open up other can of worms, but if you actually follow the money, there may be a reason why we hear certain things and, and the media chooses not to cover others. It's because don't don't try to expose the person that's feeding you in the begin to begin with. So it's it's a interesting observation. And you've actually you've been persecuted for your your desire to share the truth.
0: Yeah, and one one example, another example. Let's look at Comcast. it's a huge. Where they own NBC Universal, and the largest uh, uh, life insurance policy I ever said paid it was matter of public record uh, was the uh, um, the uh, the founding uh, father of uh, Brian Ralph Roberts, who was the the founder of Comcast. He there was a four hundred ninety six million dollar. Life insurance payment made in four hundred sixty nine, four hundred ninety six million, or thereabouts, over four hundred ridiculous. Okay, crazy. Made in two thousand sixteen. Wow. And so, but you know, if you, unless you dig, you know, you're looking at the proxy tables thing like that, you're never going to find that.
1: Well, it's so interesting because I've been, I've gone to the FDIC and and tried to find these numbers, and I'm telling you, it is like pulling teeth. It is I. That's why that's it's like honestly good luck go try, and, and it, it's out there but it's hard to find and it takes it takes someone you know somewhat determined and maybe a little bit weird to actually lean in um, and 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 go for it and so thank you for that um, I wanna I wanna go to the next topic and that's where corporations are de risking. And it's interesting because you said this before we we started recording they're de-risking and using life insurance companies which really intrigues me um but i want to ask you this beforehand is is it fair to say that every fortune 500 company right now has some type of coli which stands for corporate owned life insurance or is that not true anymore
0: that's not true anymore i think because most what you're seeing now uh caleb it's it's kind of things shift i mean the bank owned life insurance or the corporate owned life insurance was was a really big uh thing then you had sarbanes oxley kind of change a lot of that stuff so you have legacy stuff stuff on that now so it's really not it's not that it's still not out there it's like if you look at ge's balance sheet i mean um, they're still using it in a big way uh but not it's not as um as much because now they can essentially they they manipulate it with a bigger uh hammer with you know with stock buybacks and that's you know, so you don't see it as much of the um, the, the corporate-owned life or the bank-owned life insurance or the corporate-owned life insurance. You don't see it as much uh, because there's other ways to loot the company. <laughs> you're
1: you're like- saying you're saying is it because of regulations or is it because the interest rates are so low? Companies are putting their money and buying back their stock instead of putting into corporate-owned life insurance.
0: Yeah, they're, they're buying back their own stock. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the interesting, but the interesting. Uh, um uh, thing about this is that uh, I said I started, you know, uh, get, and luckily I subscribed to some pension journals and things like that, which most advisors don't want to spend the money, um, but I started, re- started researching this, and um, what I found is that they um, these major corporations throughout the United States, and in the UK, and in Ireland, and in Germany, um, and even sometimes in South Africa, um, they're, they're saying, look at, we have to manage this retirement plan. We give up. Okay. You guys handle it. And so, um, so the whole thing is that they're, they're taking some, which is around very difficult to manage, which is if the retail, if, if it's if a major 500, if a fortune 100 company can't manage their retirement plan, how is an individual going to do that? And, you know, I don't have all the answers. Um, only the guy upstairs says, but and let me give you some examples for your listeners. And this is all true. And uh I I, I think I I mentioned this in did you get my book, The Guaranteed Income? Yep. yep. So I, I started on this uh, when I restarted researching this like in 2015, I came up with about 40 companies uh worldwide which were using um life insurance companies to de-risk their retirement plans. And that, well now I get about three, four hundred. Um, so it's been huge, and um, again, you're not going to hear anything about this in the mainstream media. Um, and what, what they the talk about the media, the media actually—they're hypocrites. Uh, for instance, like New York Times. I, I, knew, I, know, I know some rep- reports of the, the Times, uh, The New York Times, has purchased uh, two mo- annuities for $480 million to fund their retirement plan benefits. So, for your readers, just just, just to give you some a real truth. Um, some some companies where they know who who, who does this? Uh well general Voters was it was the classic case. They bought in two thousand twelve they bought annuities for roughly hundred and eighteen thousand people in the US. 11, are they doing this
1: are are they doing this to bail out their pension fund or make their retirement well to manage to manage
0: the pension fund.
1: Okay. So you're saying you're saying when you first started this you could find thirty to forty companies and now there's upwards to three over three hundred companies yeah. that you can see that are taking their their pension fund and use and de-risking it using life insurance companies.
0: Exactly. To manage the risk.
1: Yeah. So, okay. Let's go through that list. Cause that's incredible.
0: So, so this is the whole thing. So, so maybe, uh, you know, so maybe we're doing the guaranteed income coming up like a 2.0, but, uh, so companies like General Motors, it's the, it's, it's the 800 pound uh, whale. I mean, that's uh, they spent close to 30 billion in 2012 to do this. Um, Let's see um, British Airways has spent 13.6 billion. Lloyd's Bank okay um, spent 13 billion in, in the last year on longevity swaps which is a type of annuity. Uh, the uh, Rolls-royce 33,000 people uh, they bought annuities for uh, 10 billion. HSBC bank um, in uh, 2019 spent eight and a half billion. Verizon, uh, in 2012, they spent eight billion. Um, let's see other uh, brand names. Um, so m- my point is, is that they know how to manage, uh, project principal FedEx, six billion. Bristol Myers Squibb, five point four billion. Uh, Marsh Mac uh, in the UK, four point seven billion. Um, BMW, you know, uh, four point two three billion in uh, 2010. And and this uh, other one, Heineken, everyone, Heineken tastes tremendous, Uh, they, they spent 3.6 billion in, uh, in 2015, Uh, Motorola in the US, they bought it 33.1 billion and, and, and uh, to handle the pension for 30,000 people. Uh, International paper, I mean, it's just,
1: Where's, where's social security on that list <laughs> should, should, would that, would that solve a lot of problems if the government actually use private, private, there's, <laughs> not, there's not a big
0: enough life insurance company to retain this risk.
1: It's like, that's one heck of a reinsurance play right there. <laughs>
0: so, but they know I mean the, uh, but, but the thing is, is that, uh, what, 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 kinda, what kind of blew my mind is that, uh, um, the, the BBC. Yep. Yeah. Bought a huge annuity like a couple months ago. ITV, um, independent television network in the UK, bought one.
1: Is it? Is it because interest rates are so low that they want to buy into the mortality credits, or can you explain why the companies are doing this? Because let me let me let me preface it real quick. A lot of people say life insurance is terrible. A lot of people say annuities are terrible. There's a an RIA slash fiduciary that I won't who will remain nameless that says annuities are terrible. Why? I feel like that's such a very elementary view, and we're all about results. Why are these companies sinking billions of dollars into what financial gurus are saying are the worst place to put your money? Well,
0: they want to do risk. You know, they, the CFOs they want to say, "Look, at I get this liability in my balance sheet? Who can best manage it? I don't want this job anymore. Yep. Who can do it? A life company can. Yep. You know, and uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, Unisys the uh, a big huge computer company um in pennsylvania they just bought one this week and, and i think they're and so so um they're doing it because it just makes sense
1: yeah. they have the
0: laws of large numbers yeah. i mean and you know contractually as we know in life insurance annuities they're, they're better um of risk yeah now to the downside of that you um you know from a retail investor's perspective there's also a um, which is uh the Sub for another it's been by my research in the private equity getting into the life insurance business which really concerns me in a big way uh because of the um uh, uh, it's it's a uh but that so but my point is that th- this is what these major corporations are doing and so yeah so I'm, you know so other ones which people would know maybe
1: well yeah, i, have a, I have a follow-up question to ask you is with these obviously when these companies are sinking billions of dollars it's a special type of agreement that they're making are they and, and a part of annuity is is life insurance and it's really hedging hedging both of those with a large numbers are they buying life insurance as well because one of the common strategies that we can use with clients is if you have a permanent death benefit that can unlock other things like annuities or like pensions or even like market-based activities and so are they are these companies doing that or are they just or, how does what did, when you say you're, you're putting billions of dollars into these annuities, are is there some kind of life insurance component to that? Well, there's
0: mortality credits and all that stuff, so it is, it's a mortality based product, okay, but it's not a true death benefit uh, product, okay. you know, and there's a lot of death benefit. It's really d- just a question of managing the money and uh, doing it. a better job. Um, it's it's you know, true insurance, and um, yeah. you know, so but some of the other banks, so the other people which are big in this, like. Commerce Bank and, and and you know bought one and um uh it's just uh, UBS Union yeah. Bank of Switzerland bought one for uh, uh their their pension plan in the, in the UK so so this is so you have these wealth managers even how about this one Caleb even Bank of America Merrill Lynch you know bought one last year um, or a year before for like. 900 employees in the UK for like half a, half a billion dollars.
1: Hmm.
0: So why are they doing this? Yeah. Because the, because the life comes to better managing the risk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, let's, let's talk about the evasion of passive investing and can you explain what that means first and foremost? And then let's talk about what you actually mean by that.
0: Well, essentially what has happened, uh, we've gone from an active management model with mutual funds in the United States, and you think of your traditional um, money managers like Fidelity or uh, Bill Miller from Leg like Mason Legacy Managers, they were essentially buying, and selling stocks, and and really um, just you know in picking and choosing. Sometimes they winners, sometimes they weren't. So so essentially that was pretty much the market um, the way it was. And now back and around I think in the late '70s or '80s, I forget where. Um, it is The Wells Fargo first came up with the idea of just uh, creating a portfolio just of the index, just and made, uh, like an S&P 500 index. And but it was Wells Fargo first started, but it was Jack Bogle from Vanguard who ran with that and saying, yeah. look, the only way you can really control this is you can't control the market. So let's just throw everything into an index and, and we'll get rid of all the costs. OK, which is true to a certain extent. But conversely, you're creating this monster where there's no accountability and there's no, um, you know, it, it's getting too big. And even Jack Bogle before he died, I became friends with Jack Bogle before he died, but then he went to talk to me, but for a couple of reasons. But if you um, if you put all your money in an investment, you, you theoretically reduce your costs, but it's not necessarily thoroughly so um, and but also, I have from um, my and there's a guy I want to be talking to, a guy by the name Mike Green, for your listeners out there from Logica Funds, who's more of an expert on this than me. Um, and I've I've done some YouTube's on this. Uh, but so you have these these companies like Vanguard, State Street, and, and um, BlackRock. You know they own they own just they're huge giants, and there's no corporate confidence. Yeah. So, so it's um. And the thing is that they are not hedged in the downturn. So, um, you know, when the next correction comes, uh, and it will, the people who are all in their 401ks, it's, it's, it's like Hotel California money, Caleb. You can get in, but you can never get out. And so, so it's, it's, a, it's a huge risk. Uh,
1: so, th- so I'm trying to, So I hear what you're saying. In, in other words, because of these big companies, they is it are you saying this is just another way for the small investor with the robin hood app they just don't stand a chance to competing with these big big it's really blocks of capital of and control like they have so much control that they could they could totally swing a market
0: yeah and the, the thing is that there's no corporate governance either there's no accountability and so you know i give people the example of ge you know and ge was a 590 billion dollar company um you know 20 years ago now it's like down a hundred million a billion uh but you know uh but you know their largest shareholder was vanguard for a number of years and uh um, there's never no one say you know it lower the compensation it's they're passive i call them communists so it's kind of like the money goes in and there's no accountability and um but the guy this guy mike green logica funds um people um want more on he does it he's the guy's brilliant um but so you have essentially and there's a real problem in case there is a correction. You can't get out. Um,
1: yeah, it, it, it is. It is super interesting. What, what would your basic overall recommendation be for people that are stuffing a ton of money in a 401k, a stock account, have Robinhood? Like, what are your, what is your, what is your thoughts? I know you don't, each situation is different. You're not giving financial advice. But what is your mind. overall, like, thoughts when, when someone's, their whole strategy is to to invest in the, in the market?
0: I'm not. I'm. am a capitalist, Caleb. Okay. Um, uh, but what we have to say is not capitalism. It's crony capitalism. And what I'm saying is that people are just being forced into it. Yeah. And um, and it's and it, to me it's tragic. It, it's, it's a moral issue. And um, and it's. Um, I think maybe there was. Remember the movies? There was a uh, other people's money. And um, uh, and I'm not saying anything new. But it was actually. Uh, Louis Brandeis, who became, a, I think, a judge in the Supreme Court, he wrote a book, The Class Book, Other People's Money, in, in 1914. And so what is happening, uh, it's the same thing again, but it's just a lot more sophisticated. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, and as you know, if you've, if you've read my books, is that I can't figure out these target aid funds. It's like, and, uh, you know, and I'm an RA and I'm pretty anal of this stuff. I can't figure out. They talk about that. So my point is, is, Make it simple. Look at. I don't know what I'm having for to dinner tonight. Never mind what's going to happen next week or next month. We just don't know. Yeah. And f- so for me to say I do know, it, it, at best it's a it's a guess, and it's you know yeah. at, at at worst it's you know it's blasphemy or it's.
1: Yeah. Could I could I, they're, throw, they're, could I throw something out and could you tell me where, where if you think I'm on something or not? Is I I always try to point people back to what they actually want and so for instance if someone's putting their money in their 401k or something what do they really want well a lot of them would communicate i want to be able to stop working someday and receive income yeah. and so so here's the quote-unquote advice that i can give somebody is start with the end in mind and talk to somebody on who can optimize the end in mind
0: yeah
1: is that is that i mean i know that's what you do you've written a book about that and that's what <laughs> we strive to do Because again. It gets super complicated, but a lot of people are focused on the wrong metric.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, the rate of return, rate of savings, as you know, Caleb is uh, more important than the rate of return. I mean, that's, um, um, and if you study the large blocks of money, like I have a um, good friend of mine, Steve Church from Physicatical Research, and this is collaborated with like, another actuarial firm in uh, Wilshire, not Wilshire, but um Oh gee, was I'll probably remember it. But um, uh, they're down in um, Reina Del Rey in California. But, um, uh, but essentially, the two collaborations essentially, they, and they track large pools of money, three, four trillion, and, and they found that the large pension plans, which is really the only thing we can measure, we we can measure, um, uh, they project rates of return of seven and a half, seven point six percent, but they are only beginning about five point seven percent. So if large institutions can't get it, um, how is the retail investor going to get it? So I think, and there's also what it's called, mathematics return to the mean. So, mostly pe- people um, will get you know, mean exposures, but there's always going to be outliers to this. But I'm saying, for generally the population, they're not going to beat the market.
1: Okay, uh, I, I get through. Can I? I'm going to go on to the next question. Sure. Crypto is one of these hot topics right now. What's your two cents on on crypto?
0: Oh, gee whiz. um, You know I I I you know I don't have all the answers um, I think it's gonna be validated at some point but until you have some government or some force behind it backing it as a legitimate like gold um, it's almost I don't um, and some people I know are very very um, behind it I know some people made a lot of money like in Bitcoin yeah. uh, but my myself I don't totally understand it so I kind of stay away from it but I think it is going to be something of the future Um uh, there's, there's no question in my mind, um, but it's just, uh, you know, gee whiz, m- most people should be, there's other issues they should be cleaning up before they yeah. get into crypto. Okay. They should be warehousing money and life insurance and, and saving and managing debt and, you know, doing really good risk um, management before they get into this, this silly stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, because, you know, look at Robinhood, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, they make, they make money on order flow and selling options, which is options is really, yeah,
1: yeah. it's the, the the so let's talk about the pros. Of Robinhood, they're they're giving the power to the people. The problem is they're giving power and with no with no uh, training wheels on. And so people, they're they're allowing people to take margin, do option trading, and options can be a great thing, and it can be a terrible thing. Um, it really goes back to not it's not the options fault; it's the investor's fault and um and so with that i think there's going to be more regulations put on apps like that and so i think overall we're going in a good direction i i love that people are are seeing what's going on what i get frustrated about is a lot of people even with the the knowledge the the media and a lot of these companies are getting us to focus on things that like there's they're getting us to focus on on fee structure which is okay is, which is important they're getting us to focus on thir- certain things like that but they're not they're not getting us to take a step back and saying is this even the right way to go about it like we're making an assumption that all of our money should be in this asset but what if we took a second back and, and took a step back and said should all our money be in the asset but all the financial gurus are just telling you ways to you know save money here but you could be going down the wrong path if you know what i'm saying
0: yeah and there's the difference between savings and investing uh caleb and the problem is you know in terms of savings i mean the united states is one of the worst in the world i mean everyone's better than us the irish the the french the dutch um you know and i'm gonna give you a great example the only really well-run pension funds in the world today to the best of my knowledge are the the uh, the pension plans uh run in the netherlands uh because they run they run like insurance companies like life life insurance companies and they assume a three and a half percent rate of return which is probably the realistic thing, but you're you're in Colorado or I'm here in New Hampshire, wherever they are, they're assuming rates of return, which are ridiculous, it's 7.6 on an average, okay, which you're never gonna get. Um, so um, so there's something to be said to be conservative in this stuff. And um, and so much of this is just an illusion, but it, it feeds well into the, in, in, in from the, I call it the asset management industrial complex. and. Um, um, and, and and others and, um, and so so people really have to you know if something I don't know if your parents ever said this if something sounds too good to be true yeah. generally is
1: right right I don't love that because I think you should ask questions and uncover like the the assumptions but yes I 100% agree and our I think our whole world is propped up on some too good to be true things um, Barry is there anything else that you'd like to talk about I and mean, we talked about Boli we talked about de-risking how corporations are de-risking using life insurance We're talking about the problems with in just investing in the market um not not from the not, not that the market's bad but just like these big overall companies are um really have a, a lot more control than we may even think um is there anything else that you have been doing research on or that you want to highlight well
0: yeah i've been working on a book on private equity for a number of years now and I hopefully we'll finish that this year um I think, um, people just need to, um, you know, not just take my word for it, but really, you know, we, re- uh, research themselves you know, and, and, you know, um, uh, read books about paying how you know, fractions of lending really works, how these things, uh, really work. And, um, you know, because, um, uh, it was this in the Bible it says my people perish due to lack of knowledge. Yeah. And that, that's what I'm happy. I'm seeing now. And, and also, you know, if you want to really, uh, Learn how to be good in this stuff. Turn off all the cable televisions, okay? Because this show for all Wall Street, you know. So you're better off. um, I live on the beach, so you're better off going for a walk in the beach than than listen to another cable television show, because it's just um, it's it's silly. It's it's infotainment. It's it's not concrete knowledge.
1: I want to remind people to go back to episode 132 of the Better World Podcast, listen to the first uh, time I, I got to speak uh, to Barry Dykes on the podcast. Barry, how can people find your work? How can people find your books? How can people find the work that you're doing? I, I want to support your research and what you're doing for the world.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, just Please, uh, please go to uh, my uh, website. It's uh, www.barryjamesdyke.com. And uh, they go to the Economic Warrior tab. And you'll see videos I've done with Chomsky and uh, yeah. other economists like John K, uh, uh, Paul Craig Roberts, um, Bill Danko, the Million Next Door. I think you had him built, man. And built. Yes.
1: yes. And,
0: and Ted Benna, who was the That's uh, right. friend of mine. So, That's right. you, know, you know, we're kind of seasoned guys. So we kind of, you know, we're, you know we believe in all the same things. And, uh, um, you know, the best things always to be to invest in yourself first, Caleb. You know that.
1: I harp on it all the time because one of the, one of the questions that people ask is like, well, I mean, this really stems from anywhere. It's like, what do I do with inflation? What do I do with all these unknowns? And I'm like, you know, one thing that wades through all these unknowns is value. Value creation will always trump anything else. And, and so that's what I try to encourage people. Um, and that's why ultimately, number one, knowing our Lord and Savior, that's like the most important thing. And number two, I know how to create value. And I could pivot 100% if everything got stripped. Um, it's like understanding that that money follows value. Um, Barry, thank you. And I'm excited to continue our friendship and relationship. And I, I look, I, I'm just grateful for the work that you're doing. And so thank you for coming back on.
0: Thank you so much, Caleb. Uh, let's keep in touch and uh, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. It's awesome. Good for you.